Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, let's go. 2023, been quite of a whirlwind. Um, Our theme for this year has been breakthrough. And I resisted that theme initially because it just sounded so cliche and it sounded so churchy. And, um, but once again, God has proved that he was right. And we are truly experiencing breakthrough as a church. At the end of 2022, we entered into a long-term, month-to-month agreement. I know it's kind of an oxymoron. Uh, with the owner of this building with hopes that one day we would purchase this property. And so we began some minor renovations. Where this platform is now used to be two offices. And so all of the instruments and everything that's here way back here were way up there. And so by renovating this platform, we increased the capacity of this room by more than 50%, which has proved to be very, very needed in this season. And when we transition in a few weeks to the new facility, we will increase our auditorium capacity again by over 60% and the overall uh, campus capacity by more than 75%. So give or take. Now, today, I want to take us through a journey in the book of Joshua. And I want to point out some parallels uh, in our journey as a church, especially over these last few months, um, to the journey of the Israelites as they went into the promised land. And I hope to encourage us as individuals and families, but also as a church body, uh, just to pursue the promised land that God has for us. Now, if we don't run out of time, um, we're going to end with the famous battle of Jericho. I won't spend a lot of time there. The, the bulk of this is going to be ramping up to get there. Uh, and then we're also going to reread a few passages that we've talked about through the years, some of them specifically this year, and we've gone into some great detail. But it, this will just be a flyover from things that we've done in a, in a deeper um, fashion previously. Let's start in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the word we were just speaking over people. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now, for those who might not be familiar with the story, let me catch us all up. Moses was God's chosen leader for ancient Israel. He was supposed to lead them into the land that God had promised to give them. Now, 40 years before this text that we're reading now in Joshua, Moses showed up to the promised land and he sent in 12 spies. Two of those spies, one was Joshua that we're reading from, two, the second one was Caleb. They came back with a favorable or a good report. They said, the land is beautiful and flowing with milk and honey. We can surely 
take it. The other 10 spies came back with a negative report and they said the land is flowing with milk and honey. That's true. But there are giants in the land and we will never be able to win a battle against them. And so these 10 spies, and I'm talking fast, I got a lot of material today. There, these 10 spies spread a bad report and fear was sowed into the hearts of the people. And as a result of the fear and the bad report, the Israelites rebelled against God and the consequence for their sin and rebellion was that they would have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Not one of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, the two spies with the good report, would, would ever see the promised land. God banished them again to the wilderness. Okay, and that's the short verse. All right. Now, we've talked about this many times, but I think that this is very important. There's one promise that God made Joshua that we often claim out of context is found in verse 3. Verse 3, he said, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I've heard this verse of Scripture prayed so many times. I've prayed it myself so many times, sometimes out of context because I didn't know. We say things like, oh, God, your word says that you'll give me every place that I set my foot. And we begin walking and claiming and praying. But the thing we often overlook is that God was very specific when he gave this promise. Verse 4 tells them where the territory is. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. God laid out their boundaries in advance. So before their breakthrough, which is our theme for the year, he clearly marked out the territory that they were to possess. Essentially, he's saying, as long as you stay within these boundaries, I will give you every place that you set your foot. We talked about this at the beginning of the year. We have to know what God has called us to do and where he's called us to be. We cannot expect breakthrough when we're living outside of the boundaries that God has set aside for us. However, when we submit our plans and our desires and our dreams to him, when I position myself in alignment with his will, then nothing can stop me. We have to make sure that the land that we're trying to possess is the same land that God has called us to possess. But once we settle it in our spirit that God has said something, then we can pursue it with reckless abandon. All right, Joshua 1, 11. He says, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready, because three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take the possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. I'm thankful that we too are about to take possession of land that is God has given us for our own. Now, the Hebrew word here for Jordan is yard, uh, yardain. It means descender. It comes from the root word called yarad, and it means to go down, to descend, to decline, to march down, to sink down, or to be prostrated. Now, we've talked about this before again as well. But Jordan then is a representation of humility or of being humbled. You have to go down. Now, in 2017, Katie and I were presented with the possibility of becoming the lead pastors of Bellevue Church of God, which is the property that we are assuming, and then we've already assumed the property, but we'll be moving to in the next few weeks. At that time, we felt like this is the move. This is what God's doing for us. We had been serving and commuting from Bellevue to Gainesville for four years, and so we began to pray. And we began to walk and we would walk around the Bellevue Sportsplex and around the Bellevue Church of God property, as well as um, those of you that have been around for a while. There's a house that's been remodeled, but used to be abandoned. And we would walk around that property as well and just pray and dream. And for those who don't know, the Bellevue Sportsplex and our new church property are basically connected. 
And so we would pray and talk and dream and, it, and we would say things like, well, what would it be like to be the pastors of the church on this property? I, mean, I won't say we were claiming the property per se, but we were seeking the will of God. Now, my connection to the Bellevue Sportsplex goes back even further than that. I moved here to Bellevue in November of 2005. By January 2006, we were already getting involved in sports. I was coaching my oldest son in soccer and t-ball and basketball, and he eventually moved into football and my daughter to cheerleading. And we spent hundreds of hours in that sportsplex over the next or over the past 18 years. But I can take you to the exact spot where I stood with my good friend, Pastor Dave Howe. And we looked over the entire sportsplex and I said these words, what if a church was right here and ran this entire place? What if the church was the one facilitating the tournaments and games and leagues and, and as parents drove onto the property to play sports, they didn't even realize that they were driving onto church property and that they were being served by church people. So in 2017, when we were walking and praying and dreaming and all of and, and I had all of that conversation with my friend, Pastor Dave, in my head. And I was like, this has to be God. He's taking us all the way back to when I moved here. But we never got the opportunity to try out for the church. Hindsight, God had a much different plan. But at the time, we were a little bummed. We were standing on the banks of the Jordan River, but it wasn't time yet. Remember, Jordan is a representation of humility or of being humbled. This was God's way of saying, you humble yourself, humble your dreams and your desires before me, and I'll tell you when and if you get to cross over to the other side. And so the territory had been set in the book of Joshua. It was clear in the history book of Randy. I had no clue what was going on. And the story is still unfolding. Now, in Joshua 2, we read about the spies and how Rahab, the prostitute, protected and hid the spies from being caught. Then in Joshua chapter 3, we see the preparation for going into the city. Joshua 3, verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it and went ahead of him. So the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to talk about this again in more detail later. The Ark of the Covenant is a representation of the presence of God. They were on the banks of the Jordan River about to cross over, but they could not cross over until the presence of the Lord went before them. So in Joshua 3, 5, it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And we all love the Lord will do amazing, amazing things among you part. We love the you're about to go into your promised land part. We love the breakthrough part. But Joshua says, before you do anything else, prepare yourself, dedicate yourself, sanctify or consecrate yourself. In other words, separate yourself. See, the will to see God work is not as important as the will to prepare to see God work. In other words, we all want to see God move. We all want to see the breakthrough. But that's not as important as committing to prepare for the breakthrough. How can God send breakthrough when we're not prepared for it? See, a lot of times our consecration is selective, meaning I'll consecrate myself long enough for God to do something in my life, and then I'll go back to my old life. This isn't a consecrate yourself just to get God to do what you want Him to do for you. 
God, I wish for this or I wish for that. And so I'll consecrate myself until you do it for me. Listen, we have to distance ourselves from consumer Christianity. We've said it many times. God is not a genie in a bottle. When we consecrate ourselves, we are setting our lives, our desires, our will aside and submitting them to the will of the Father. Consecrating ourselves puts us in alignment with the plan that God has already established for our lives. It puts us in a position to possess the boundaries that he's already laid out for us. So if I rewind to 2017, I didn't know it at the time, but my desires were getting ahead of God's desires. If God had allowed us to cross over back then, then none of what is happening now would be happening. Because God sees the end from the beginning. See, we were walking and we were praying and we were saying, God, if this is what you want for us, then make it clear or shut the door. Uh, but our desires wanted the door to be open, but he needed to shut it for a little longer. He knew that there were still areas of our lives that needed to be consecrated. Now, at the end of Joshua 3 and into chapter 4, the Israelites cross over the Jordan River. And when the priests, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, again, the presence of the Lord, they stepped into the river. The river stood up in a heap on one side, and basically the, the nation walked across on dry land. Okay, so God once again has done the impossible. He's performed great miracles on behalf of Israel, which leads us into Joshua 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings... West of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their enemies melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. See, God is on their side. Their enemies are terrified and no longer even want to fight them. Joshua and the Israelites are now looking, physically looking at their promised land. They can see Jericho, which becomes the first city they captured. They can hear the sounds of the city, the smell and the aroma of the foods being cooked. And remember, if you know the story, they've been eating manna for 40 years. They've consecrated themselves. We read about that just a second ago in Joshua 3. They've set themselves apart. They've prepared themselves. And now their destiny is right in front of them. But there's just one more thing that they have to do. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. And so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Verse 8. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then, they said, then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. I, I know I'm flying through this. I just have a lot of notes. Um, if you want more detail on these specific stories, you can go back to the beginning of the year and, and kind of listen through the Breakthrough series. But I wonder how many of us are also staring at our destiny. Like we're so close and we can see how beautiful it is and we can hear the sounds of music being played and the hustle and bustle of the city. We can smell the aromas. We spent our time in the wilderness and now we've consecrated ourselves. We've set ourselves apart. We've prepared ourselves. We've won some battles. God has done some miracles. We've crossed some rivers. But one thing remains, we cannot go in until we cut away everything that is not necessary. In order to accomplish all that God is calling us to, there has to be a cutting away. There has to be a spiritual circumcision. Now, I love, the, I love hindsight. Remember a couple of months ago, those that have been here, I said, I feel like 
because we were getting ready to transition to the new facility and all the things that were coming up. And I said I f- something like, I feel like we should be preaching a message to rally the troops or to ask people to get involved. But every time I sat down to write the vision casting message or whatever, I just couldn't type. And now with hindsight, I can see why. And maybe no one got anything out of the last two series except for me. But the content in those messages has wrecked my life. We talked about the fire of God when we said fan fan the flame. Do you remember that series? We talked about the fire being a consuming agent. The fire of God consecrates us. Consecration was the command to the Israelite nation before they could cross the Jordan. And that led us to the last series, Jesus Above All, which was about complete and total surrender to and trust in Jesus, which is the very next thing the Israelites had to do. They had to be circumcised. Circumcision is cutting away the cutting away of that which is unnecessary. And so putting Jesus above all is a circumcision of the heart. It's the cutting away of everything that's not like Jesus. My pride and my arrogance and my self-centeredness and my anger and my lust and my perversion and my addictions and my anxieties and my worries and my negative thinking and my complaining and my whining. He goes like, man, he's got problems. (laughs) You probably have it too, but if you've got that... We have to cut those things away, cut the things that are not like God out of our lives. And so for the Israelite nation, the circumcision table was at a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was the place of complete surrender and trust. We have to trust God with a knife. And a lot of times we don't want to do that. You can cut anywhere. Don't cut, don't cut there, please. <laughs> we don't, but we have to trust him with a knife. So in 2017, we were disappointed, but we had to trust God with a knife. Because without him cutting away that opportunity, there is no everyday church. But now we've consecrated ourselves. We've humbled ourselves and our desires to his desires. We've crossed the Jordan. We've allowed and are allowing continuously him to cut away everything that's not of him. And we're about to step into Jericho, which leads us to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua 6 is where we find the famous battle of Jericho. And if you grew up in church, you heard this story more times than you can count in kids' church. And if you grew up in a Pentecostal or charismatic church, you probably heard this passage preached and somebody was trying to get you to shout the walls down. And maybe some of you shouted some down. And and I don't want to be negative about any of that because there's certainly a scriptural mandate to shout before the Lord. There are probably quite a few in the room or listening online who haven't heard the story at all. And so from the perspective of someone hearing the story for the first time, the details might even seem a little weird. And outside of the miraculous power of the one true miracle-working God, it would be outlandish and certainly impossible. Nothing wrong with any, any of those scenarios if that's where you find yourself. But for the sake of those who haven't heard the story in a long time, or maybe those who aren't familiar with it, let me summarize it to get us again on the same page. In the book of Genesis, God promised a man named Abraham that his descendants would inherit a land flowing with milk and honey. Fast forward several hundred years to Joshua, and now those very descendants are standing at the threshold of that promise. Jericho was the first city of the conquest. And I'm going to read um, read several verses here, so hang out with me. Pull it up on your phone, follow online. Uh, Not online, but on the screen if you want. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to try to slow down here. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, or no one went out, and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. 
Do, do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the sound of the long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. At this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day that I tell you uh, to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carried the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. So for six days, they marched around the city one time while not saying a word, only blowing the trumpets. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Now let's drop to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything living in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. There's a lot of things that we could talk about within this passage, but I want to point out just a couple uh, for us to kind of think about. And I think that these things are abundantly important for us as a church and also for us as individuals. The Ark of the Covenant, as we talked about earlier and have talked about many times, it represented God's presence. So by carrying the Ark of God around the city, it was a visual declaration to their enemies that God was with them. And it reminds me of a video kind of that I saw a few years ago. It was pretty long. I was going to show it. It was a, a lioness chasing uh, a bear cub. And the bear cub is running for its life for several minutes. It's, I don't know if it's like a Nat Geo thing or whatever. And so it's through the woods and over the rocks and finally into a river. And the lioness backs this bear cub onto a rock where there's really no escape. And she begins to just, you know, slap the, the bear cub and all the things with her, with her claws. So the cub has nothing left to do but to begin to roar. And so there's this scene where the bear cub is roaring, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a bear cub. So it's not, it's just, it sounds like awful. It's not very scary. So this, this bear cub is roaring in this high-pitched adolescent roar. And the lioness stops and she turns and she jumps to the next rock and she just runs off. And you're like, what just happened? 
And as the camera pans behind the bear club, you see Mama Bear standing behind the cub at about eight or nine feet tall, roaring with a full-blown, don't come any closer kind of roar. Now, on some levels, that's what's happening in this passage of Scripture. The Israelites could not have taken that city on their own. They needed the presence of the Lord. And carrying the ark was that visual perspective of God is with them. They needed the power of the Lord. To those in the fortified city of Jericho, there was nothing to fear until the ark of God showed up. I want you to see how Joshua treated the ark of God. Let's go back to verse 6. It says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests, and he said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city. Watch this. With armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Verse 9 says, The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. Verse 13 says, The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. This is very significant. Joshua knew what we have forgotten and or neglected is that it would be impossible to fulfill their purpose without the presence of the Lord. And so what did he do? He put an armed guard in front and an armed guard in the back. The ark of the Lord, which was the tangible representation of God's presence and authority, was to be protected at all costs. And now here we are, a millennia later, living as if the presence of God doesn't even matter. When the truth is, there's nothing more important. I know that was a very long, fast introduction just to say the presence of God in our lives is of the utmost importance. Amen. We have to protect, you know, last week Lewis did a great job talking about guarding our heart. We have to also guard the presence of God in our lives. And maybe that seems like a very impractical point. Maybe you're even thinking, well, how do I get the presence of God in my life? It's not that I want to ignore it. I don't even know how to get it to begin with. Or I don't, I don't even know where to start. Certainly these are valid thoughts and questions and we'll revisit those soon. And I'll have a, a, just a brief answer to that. But I'll recap what we talked about, talked about today. Number one, God sets the boundaries. He sets the boundaries. If you step outside of the boundaries and begin to claim things, then God's under no obligation. I mean, you know what I mean? And I think some of our disappointment that we, you know, we were praying about and singing about earlier, God's never going to let me down, is we step outside of the boundaries that he's got for us. And we're like, God, you said everywhere I set my foot, I claim this and I claim that. And, this, and, then, and then nothing happens. And we're like, God, you let me down. And he's like, dude, I told you to stay over here. You're over here. Get back into the parameters that I've already set for you. All right, so number one, God sets the boundaries. Number two, we consecrate ourselves or we set ourselves apart. Number three, we have to cut away everything that's not of Him. And I think that these things that we've been talking about all year, but heavily the past two months, are part of, it's the short answer to the question of how do we experience God's presence. It's consecration, and circumcision, really, it's a cutting away. It's, I'm setting myself apart, and I'm cutting everything that's not of God away so that I can experience His presence. And then once I'm in and living in His presence, I've got to guard it at all costs. 
anything that could distract me from that, then I have to say no to. And that's hard. Because we live in a world of distraction. All right, so one, God sets the boundaries. Two, we consecrate, set ourselves apart. Three, cut things, cut everything away that's not of him. Four, we step into the promised land, but not without the presence of the Lord. And and I think we'll talk about this in in messages moving forward. But there was a moment in Moses' life, which was the predecessor to Joshua, where he said, God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. I, I can't go without your presence. All right, here's the final point, number five for today, which is really the title of the message, is Jericho is only the beginning. Because of the dramatic fashion in which the Israelites took Jericho, and because of just, I don't know why, it's made it to the center of all children's curriculum for church folk. We just grow up hearing about the Battle of Jericho. And I guess on some levels it's inappropriate to talk about all of the battles, you know, like... You know, the Old Testament's bloody and gross and people cutting off body parts and sending them in boxes to different parts of the kingdom. I don't, is that gladiator or is that the Bible? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> so I know that there's, there's an element of, of, of appropriate shielding. You know what I mean? Like, but Jericho was the first city they captured. And for whatever reason, we're just like, yeah, they got Jericho. We're in the promised land. Not really. That's just the first city. Jericho was the first city they captured, and it was dedicated to the Lord. In Joshua 8, they captured Ai. Joshua 9, Gibeon. Joshua 10, Lachish, Eglon, Hebron, Debir, Labna, Makeda, Gezer, Horma, Hazor in Joshua 11, Arad in Joshua chapter 12, Bethel in Joshua 12, uh, Jarmuth in Joshua 12. Just on and on and on and on and on. There were battle. There was battle after battle and city to be captured and more territory to take. And I want to encourage you as individuals and as families, as you begin to take ground in your spiritual life, as you begin to win some battles, don't allow yourself to get to a place of settling and being comfortable. We should absolutely rest in Jesus, but we should never stop pursuing the call that he has for our lives. And this is very important for us as a church. This transition to a new facility is only the beginning. This is our Jericho. It's the first fruits of what's to come. We're only scratching the surface of the growth and the healing that God wants to pour through this church. Jericho is only the beginning. And if this is your church, and you have received or are receiving healing, God wants, you to, God wants to use you to bring healing to others. If you've been around more than a couple of weeks, you know that we try to honor our volunteers and our serve teams regularly. And while this message wasn't a traditional call to action or rally the troops or cast vision kind of message, I'm saying to you now, as we transition, we need you. If you've been on the fence and you're like, I don't know, I could, I, uh, whatever, we need you. Because things are about to change and I feel like it's like gas is about to be poured on the fire. And I don't know what's about to happen, but I know that we need you to be involved. Help us take Jericho. You can start on December the 11th, (laughs) whatever the work day was. Second, don't come on the 11th. I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Let me back up. 
You can start helping us on January, the, uh, January, shoot. And you can start by helping us on December the 2nd. That's what I get for getting off my notes. Help us take Jericho and then help us to continue to take ground for God's kingdom because Jericho is only the beginning. And I don't want the focus to be on Jericho. What I'm saying is, and we're gonna, what we're going to revisit in the, in the weeks to come is this topic about the presence of the Lord. Joshua protected the presence of the Lord with an armed guard in front and an armed guard in the back. We cannot allow our lives to be distracted from the presence of the Lord. We need the presence of the Lord to do the things that we do. We've got like this presence of the Lord compartment and then this life compartment and they're separate. And when we come to church, we'll blend, we'll open up the little gate and let the two things kind of flood together. And now we've got life, which is church, and I've got the presence of the Lord, and it's all together. And I sense him and, you know, whatever, the atmosphere, and I like that song and whatever, and I get emotional and I cry and all the things, and that's good. And then we separate it again. And I put the presence of the Lord over there until the next time I come together with somebody else, and then I go do my life. But the reality is, is God wants the presence of the Lord. He wants, to, he wants us to experience his presence in our daily lives so that there's no separation. When I'm parenting my kids, the presence of the Lord are, is there. When I'm driving down the road, the presence of the Lord is there. When I'm at work, the presence of the Lord is there. It's not the separation, and I'm protecting that at all costs. And then the moment that something comes and begins to derail me from that, I have to come into alignment with what I know God wants. I was so distracted this morning. There's so many things happened right before you got here that I was like, let's just cancel service. <laughs> and it took, this, you know, it took two or three songs to just to kind of settle in to where, all right, this is what we're doing. We're here. We're, we got this. And the second song, we weren't even singing right. It was just like, what's... <laughs> this is wrong. Just keep singing. <laughs> and you guys don't know, Adrian's got a microphone. You can't hear what he's saying. He's, he's in our ears going, no, no, you're too early. You're too early. <laughs> Max, no, no, no. Max, 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 no. I'm looking at Adrian. <laughs> Yahweh. No, dad, dad, dad. No, no, no. It took until after that song to feel the presence of the Lord. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I'm done. Adrian, you can come and play. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <clears throat> Jericho is just the beginning. I don't know what your Jericho is. I know that was, you know, I told a lot of kind of personal story, a little bit of history even of our church and things in that. It was a lot of weaving in and out of Joshua and a lot of talking really fast. And, but on a personal level, I don't know what your Jericho is, but I know that you have one. Or maybe you've already experienced your Jericho and you've kind of settled in. You're like, hey, this is it. But God's saying, <coughs> look, there's a lot more chapters. There's a lot more past Joshua 6. There's a lot more beyond Jericho. 
There's a lot more beyond that. And so maybe you've never experienced it and you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do or I'm, I'm looking at it. I need to cross over the Jordan. Like, I don't know where you are in the journey of your life. But I do know this, no matter where you are, to go to the next level is going to require consecration. Look, this consecration moment was not a single moment and then that was it. Because over and over and over, I mean, as soon as Joshua chapter 6 is over, it says, and then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like, they just didn't. And so there's always this consecration moment. And so maybe you're on your third city and you've just drifted. God's saying, consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. Again, get rid of the things that are not of me. Protect the presence of the Lord in your life. So that's what I want to encourage you with today. Look at your life, evaluate it, and figure out where you are. Are you on this side of the Jordan? Do you need to cross? Are you looking at Jericho and you need to go in? Have you camped out and began to build your house in Jericho, but you need to move forward? I don't know where you are, but I pray that the Lord will speak to you in a deep and significant and supernatural way. But more than anything, I pray that we as a church and as individuals would begin to embrace and protect the presence of the Lord in our lives. That we would come to an understanding of knowing and, and a knowing of when he's And I say this all the time, like he's here, right? He's here. He's always there. There's never a moment that we, there's never, not a place we could go. David, the psalmist wrote in the Psalms, if I lay my bed in hell, you're there. There's nowhere that we can go. Even if you're going through hell on earth, that God's not there with you. But there are, there are special sweet moments where it's like, ah, man, I, feel, I sense the presence of the Lord. And we have to protect that. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this day. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.